This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning. Um, it's so good to have you guys here. Um, to those of you joining online, welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us. Um, or if you're listening in the week, um, it's wonderful to have you listening with us later on. Um, so today uh, we are continuing on with our series. No one seems to know what series we're doing, so I'm going to tell you. Uh, we started last week with Jess Pedersen. So she uh, is the co-pastor with um, Caleb not our Caleb, Caleb Pedersen at Field Vineyard, which is one of the other ones in the north of Bristol. And that is on what does the gospel mean to you? That's the series we're doing. And so last week, if you want to go back and listen to it if you weren't here, Jess did a really good talk, which was looking at how do we speak to God as a father? Um, speaking to one, uh, our God who is one who listens to us, who cares for us and who loves us. Um, that was kind of her take on what does the gospel mean to her? Um, So today I'm going to speak uh, on my take on it, and it's something that I think that God has been challenging me on recently, and that is literally the gospel, or rather the Greek translation of the word gospel, which is the word good news. Um, And to ask, do we believe that the gospel is good news? And to take it one step further, do we believe that it is actually the best news in our lives? Um, So before we start, I'm just going to pray quickly, um, and then we'll just jump straight in. Uh, Father God, thank you um, that you are with us, that you are here, that um, you're always present. Uh, We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. um, And I pray that today uh, you'd be speaking through me, that you would um, open up our hearts to hear your voice um, and that we would come away knowing that you are good and that we are changed by you for the better. Amen. Um, So I don't know about you, but I don't really listen to the news much at all, Um, especially in the last few years. I've definitely stopped reading papers as much or listening to the news at home. And I only really tend to engage with it when someone at work is like, oh, did you hear about that thing? And I'm like, ah, because it's that sense of like, I feel like I should know what's happening in the world, but I really don't. So I have to quickly Google and find out. Um, But I don't think I'm the only person who's been doing this. Um, In early 2022, so last year, a YouGov poll found that in the UK, of all the people that they polled, 46% said that they avoid reading the news um, some, um, reading the news sometimes or often, which is twice the level recorded five years ago. Um, and I think this is because people are kind of tired of engaging with things that are bad, things that are, are cause stress and anxiety. Um, and in, so instead, in the last few years, there's been this massive rise in good news alternatives, whether that's just websites which just talk about good news or whether news stations have their own good news section. Um, And so I thought I'd share some of the good news items from this week. Uh, So I think there should be some pictures coming up um, on the screens. So one of them, so this is a Burmese, so on the, wait, your left. Um, That is a Burmese peacock soft-shell turtle. It is one of the most endangered freshwater turtle species on the planet. And in the last few weeks, 15 hatchlings were born for the first time in captivity to be released into the wild to help the population in Myanmar. Um, Next one was that a university in Sydney found that having plants in your house, so just indoor plants, can effectively clear out and reduce harmful and cancer-causing pollutants and intoxicants from your house with a 95% um, kind of success rate in just eight hours. So just having plants in your house is making your air better in just eight hours. I think it's good news for all of us considering the recent popularity in um, houseplants. And the final one, um, this is a picture of Belle, who's a bull terrier, and she's an assistance dog. So in a Milton's Keynes hospital, she was recently, she was allowed into the labor ward as the first midwife dog to help her owner give birth <laughs> to little baby Ollie. Um, and to some of you, I feel like that probably is the opposite of good news, but now you can get dog midwives. That's exciting, isn't it? Um, 
Anyway, so all this is to say that um, why do you think there's been an increase in this demand for good news stories or news sites, news sites only sharing good news? It may be because people want to read something that's uplifting or happy um, in contrast to normal news. But as one article puts it, I think a big thing is that people want a sense of hope. They want to know there's hope amongst all the other bad news that we, we are around us and that we hear around us. And of course, we know that Jesus himself came to reclaim good news. The word gospel, as I said before, which is the word we use for the first four books of the New Testament, which tell us about Jesus' life, they come from the Greek word, which is euangelion. So that's a compound word in Greek. So the eu bit means good, and the angelion means announcement. So that's also where we get the word angel from, a messenger announcement. And in turn, this is the word in Hebrew, which is called biser, which means national use, news, or royal announcement. It would have been a word we see in the Bible, but been used in their times as a word to declare good news, like when a battle is won or a king is crowned and is on the throne. It's news that would have been celebrated and given over to other people, passed around like Chinese whispers. And Jesus in the gospel, he uses this word to declare or proclaim his message. And this is the same message he tells his disciples to spread after his death and resurrection. Now, I know this won't be um, new to any of you. If you've been around the church, you would have heard the word gospel and know that it means good news. Some of you might have even at school got that little red Bible that is called good news. Um, so I know it's not new. But I wanted to talk about this today because I sometimes, I'm not sure that me or maybe even you always trust that what Jesus says is actually good news. And that's not to say that we think it's bad news or that we ignore it. Um, but sometimes I think that I, and maybe you too, look at it like, like we look at those good news stories that I just said. That they're nice, it's a nice, inspiring story. It says some uplifting and motivational things. Some parts sound too good to be true. Some things you can't quite trust to be real. But that overall, it's only a part of the story or perspective that we live by. That it's only part of several other messages that we listen to and follow. But what if the gospel is actually the best news? And what if it's the best news that we could ever receive or live by? Um, so first one started, you know, what is good news? Uh, you may feel like it's a trick question. Like the answer should just be Jesus. Um, or you're back in Sunday school and you're like, you know, we're beyond this. Um, and I once heard that sermons on Sunday are just someone repeating the same thing again and again, just in a slightly different way, um, which is kind of essentially true. But it's because we needed to be reminded of these messages that often because we're forgetful and get distracted. So here is your weekly reminder. Um, we know what the good news is, is of course that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, uh, a life that we couldn't live, died for our mistakes and rose again, defeating death so that we can be united with God today and now forever, um, today now and then for an eternity in heaven. And we, so we know what the gospel is and the purpose of this series isn't for just to keep, us to keep telling you the same thing again and again, but it is for us as speakers to share a particular element of that that gospel, that message that speaks to us and challenges us today. So today I want to share one of my favourite passages from the New Testament, and it's literally Jesus' declaration of good news. Um, if you have your Bible or your phone, we're going to be starting in Luke chapter 4. Um, this is where we're joining the story. So this is just after Jesus has been tempted in the desert, in the wilderness, for 40 days by the devil. Um, and prior to that is where he's been baptised. He was baptised, went into the wilderness, was tempted by the devil. And this is where we're joining that part of the story. So it's Luke 4, verses 14 to 21, if you want to read along, or it should be on the screen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. 
He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So in Jesus' time, it was custom that in your local synagogue, um, the synagogue rabbi or another trusted teacher would be the one that would stand up and read the, the words for today. They'd often have one from the prophet, I'm gonna get this wrong, because I've not written it down. One from the prophet, I think one would be like a psalm or a song and there'd be something else. So this is kind of what Jesus is participating in. He's been the trusted person, trusted teacher to do the passage for that day. And as this passage says, these verses were written by Isaiah almost 700 years ago for us. And back then they were pointing to the coming Messiah that Israel was waiting for. And so it's, I think it's easy when we look at these verses to think what Jesus is talking about and what Isaiah was talking about is just people who are poor or who are in prison or who are blind to focus on the real physical element of those verses, which is very true and was very relevant. But these words are directed to all of us because without God, all of us are trapped by our sin and we are blind to God. And so there are two things that I want to pull out from these verses. The first thing um, is that God, through Jesus, came to bring us good news. He comes to free us, whether that's meant in a physical sense or a spiritual sense. God cares about us, and he cares about where we're at, physically and spiritually. He cares about what is trapping us, what is stealing our freedom, and what is stealing our peace. He cares about whether we feel oppressed or weighed down. He cares about you. He is for you. Um, do we always believe that of God? And there's no caveat in this statement. He doesn't say, I've come to rescue the poor, but only the poor who are really godly and really holy. Or I've come to set you free, but only those who really deserve it. And in fact, later on in this story, those listening to, Je those listening to Jesus at the time become furious with him and want to kill him. They want to throw him off a hill and stone him because he highlights to them that this message wasn't just for them, as in the select Israelites, the, the Jews, but this message was for everybody, them and others outside of Israel. It was for Jews and for Gentiles. This is a message and a promise that is open to all of us, but just like any gift, it has to be accepted to be received and opened. And the second thing is in that last line in verse 19, it says, Jesus says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was also known as the year of Jubilee. And it's referring to a command that God gave to the um, Israelites back in the Old Testament after they've left Egypt in the book of Leviticus. And it was a command about how they should live and operate as a community. Um, so the idea was that every 50 years, God commanded them that they would have a year of liberty and celebration. And as you may know, in the Bible, certain numbers are important. So 50 is the culmination of seven years times seven years, so 49 plus the one. And it's in that year that all Hebrew slaves that had been enslaved due to debt were set free. Land or property that had been sold to someone else was reverted back to the family owners, the ancestral owners. And this is why it was a year of celebration. Because those that had debt had it cleared, regardless of whether they could pay it. Those who were enslaved were freed, whether they could earn that freedom or not. And those who were without a home had their land returned to them, whether they could pay for it or not. 
It's not because of anything they'd done. It was just given to them in this year of favour, year of jubilee. They couldn't earn what they needed, but it didn't matter because they received it anyway. And that's what Jesus was declaring then, and that's what he's declaring now, that he's come to bring a year of jubilee, but not just for once every 50 years, but for every single year. Because of Jesus and him dying for us, we don't have to earn our way back to him. We can be freed from what enslaves us, whether that's bad habits, addictions, difficult thoughts, and we can return home to him. It was also custom that after reading these verses on the day that the rabbi or teacher would sit down and they'd give their interpretation, almost like a sermon. They'd say what they thought those verses meant. And so in verse 20, it says, when Jesus rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone looked to him and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is Jesus' interpretation of those verses. And you can imagine how shocking that would have been. They're expecting a sermon about how great God is and Jesus goes, you know all of that? That's about me. I'm the one that's gonna bring it. They're waiting for their Messiah, and that's what that prophecy was all about. And he's saying, I am the fulfillment of that. I am the one bringing it. And notice, we can notice the timing too, because this is just after he's come out of the wilderness. This is just after he's been tempted by Satan, overcome Satan, and come out filled with God's spirit. That's when he chooses to come and proclaim the scripture and say, look, this is what I'm bringing today. Therefore, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus he comes out to say that he is the Messiah and that he is the one ushering in this day of good news. It's a day of release and healing and liberation from what physically traps us and diminishes us, from what spiritually pulls us away from and keeps us from God. It's freedom from what binds us and harms us, from sin and shame. And we know that this is good news, undeniably. Freedom from what hurts us, freedom from shame and judgment, freedom from physical ailments, This is good news, but sometimes I feel like we struggle, or I at least know that I struggle to live it and believe it and to trust it, and instead pursue other messages and philosophies or habits or thoughts. So I kind of want to look at why why do we do this? Why can't we always live like that's true and that, you know, that this, we know it's logically, rationally, it's the best way to live. Why can we not do that? There was one uh, theologian or philosopher, Augustine, he lived in Northern Africa in about 300 AD. Uh, He defined it like this. He thought it was because we have disordered loves. So interestingly, um, Augustine, he actually grew up in quite a dysfunctional family. So bearing in mind 300 AD, it's about 300 years after Jesus. So quite far, you know, his story might be actually quite similar to what we see in some people around us today. So he suffered through a childhood of unhappiness. He was prone to thievery and dishonesty. He hated studying and formal education, which is funny because he was a philosopher and a theologian. He was virtually addicted to food and to sex. He enjoyed a life um, going out and celebrating at the theater or cabaret. He studied lots of different religions and for a time was a single parent. His life was unquestionably chaotic and disordered. And like many people we know, he found himself on a relentless course in search of healing and of happiness. At age 19, Augustine read a dialogue by a Roman philosopher you might have heard of called Cicero, in which Cicero stated that every person sets out to be happy, but the majority are thoroughly wretched. Now, he sounds like a really positive guy, doesn't he? He's the type of person you want to sit next to at a party. So although simplistic, there's truth in his Cicero statement, is that as children, as teenagers, none of us grow up aiming to be unhappy or wanting to be unhappy um, or unfulfilled, but yet many people's lives are characterized by conflict, by frustration and unfulfilled longings, uh, by this unfulfilled searching for something. 
And so Augustine, he read that and he set out to discover, okay, well, why are so many people discontented in life? Why are so many people searching for happiness and not finding it? You know, what is going on? And his conclusion was that for most of us, our lives are, are out of order. We have disordered loves. For Augustine, the problem wasn't actually that we, that we love because we are made in the image of a God who loves, that is in trying being, we are called and made to love. So that's not the issue. The issue wasn't in the things that we love, because most of the things that we love are good. They're created by God who is good, and he gives them to us as good gifts. So it's not that we love, it's not that we love lots of things. The problem is in loving things the wrong way. That is to say that each object of love, whether that's a person or a thing or an idea, can only give us so much satisfaction and no more. And when we expect it to give us more, we are disappointed that it cannot deliver. So he summarizes like this. He says, love is disordered when it seeks happiness in temporal and finite objects. That is, when it searches for happiness in things that will one day fade or vanish. Disordered loves means that we often love less important things more and more important things less than we ought to. And it's this wrong prioritization that leads to unhappiness and disorder in our lives. And so one of the things that Augustine is most well known for saying, and you may have heard this already or before, is our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That is to say, our hearts and spirits are restless and searching until they find what they're looking for in God. And I think that's what God has been challenging me on recently, is who or what do I love most in my life? As Augustine puts it, are my loves disordered? Because yes, there are lots of things in my life that give joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, meaning, purpose, love, happiness, and they're all good things, right things to love. But am I pursuing those things first and foremost instead of God? Am I putting those things before God? Is that something you can identify with as well? So why do I think do we struggle to believe and live in Jesus' good news? I think it's because sometimes we pursue other things instead to find what God actually provides best. And I see this in my own life in day to day. One of the things that I know that I struggle with is perfectionism and needing approval. This was highlighted to me quite a lot in my first ever job, full-time job. Um, where I really wanted to get affirmation from my boss of you know, having done a job well. Um, and it was a few years later in my, when I was doing my PhD, one of my friends said something to me. You know when they say something and they're kind of joking, I think she was joking, but like cut straight through and you're like, oh my gosh, that was real word of truth. Her comment was, I think Joanna's still looking for approval from her supervisor in America and that was where my first job was. And that was like six years after that job. And I was like, oh my gosh, like she's joking, but that's actually very true. Um, and I occasionally see in my work now, like eight years on in my current job, that something will happen and I, I'm searching for that affirmation from my boss to say that you've done a good job. And I don't think that's necessarily bad to want. I'm just saying that it's something that I keep on chasing. So in small group, um, in the last few months, we've been looking at prophecy and practicing it amongst ourselves. Like, how can we get better at this? What does it look like? That kind of thing. Um, and someone in our group, Claire, I didn't ask if I should share this story, but I hope it's fine. Um, it was a word she had for me. So... Um, she saw instead, um, we were looking at pictures and trying to get words of God, like, and use those pictures as inspiration, and then we'd share those words with people in the group. So she saw this picture of, um, it was like a steering thing on a ship, and it said about, the word basically was like, it feels like you're going really slowly in your progression, but actually you're going in the right direction. So it's just like an affirmation that things feel really slow, but you're going in the right direction, um, and you are moving ahead. It's just very slow. And for me, that's how I've been feeling in work. I'm feeling like I'm not going anywhere, like nothing's happening, and I really want my boss to like, give me that affirmation. And then Claire gives me that word, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what brings peace and affirmation. 
Like, yes, I can get it from my boss, but it'll only, that peace and affirmation will only be temporary. Like, yes, I'll get it and feel like, oh, that's great, but then a few weeks later, I'm looking for it again from my boss. But when I hear it from God, I can trust, I can trust completely that his word is true and it's final. That when God says, look, you're going in the right direction, it's slow, but carry on with it, I know I can trust that completely. I don't have to come back to him for more information because I trust that that is true. I don't have to think, oh, is he, is he lying to me? Is he trying to be kind? Is he just trying to like, be nice to me because he knows I'm not doing very well? I know that I don't have to worry about that like I do with my boss. I can think with him. He's just telling the truth. He's, he's speaking um, over me and affirming me in a way that isn't temporary. It's something that I can trust in. And so whereas my boss's word will only affirm temporarily, the effect will wear off and I'll go back to where I started. With following Jesus and believing in his good news, it means freedom from holding out for that temporary and unsatisfactory approval. It means full and complete, never-ending, always affirming approval that is gained without striving. And this can also be when we are pursuing good things as well. Um, not just things that are difficult. Uh, another thing, again, back to small group prophecy, we did this um, exercise in our group that we basically had a letter, sorry, a piece of paper, and you wrote your name at the top and folded it. And if you ever play that game where you write things, fold it, and then it tells a story. Similar but different in that we wrote our names, folded it over, and then we'd spend five minutes with that piece of paper listening from God, and then we'd write whatever we heard, fold it over, and pass it on. So the idea was you never knew whose paper you're writing on. And if you couldn't think of anything, you just wrote something nice and affirming. Um, you fold it over, and at the end, the person can unravel it and read all of their prophecies or words from God. And it was really cool. Um, but also it meant that because we just handed out the papers randomly, at some point you were going to write on your piece of paper without knowing it, which I think is a surefire way to know that what you're saying is true because you had no idea that you're speaking over yourself from God. Um, and so one of the words when I got back to my piece of paper and unraveled it, like one of the words I thought, this was the word I was like, I wonder who's going to get this. And I unraveled it and I was like, ah, I've got that word. I was saying it over myself. Um, and that was the... The, I tend to get images when I'm getting words from God, and that was kind of like a bird in a tree, and the bird was like happily singing. Um, but it was the idea of God being like, you are in a place of joy, like in a season of joy and happiness, but remember that your joy is rooted in me. So just as this bird is kind of like singing away on this tree, the, the tree is the one that's like kind of rooting it. It's the source of the happiness. And I got a similar word to that three times. So that one and two more times whilst we are doing this prophecy series in our small group by different people and none of them knew about the other words or knew that they were connected. And usually if God says something to you three times, you see something in the Bible three times, usually because God's really trying to get something through to you. And so for me it was this. It's like, yes, you're in a place, a season of joy and um, of happiness that you're, um, I feel like I'm getting joy from lots of different places in my life and I'm very grateful for things. But it's God being like, yes, that's great. But remember that, your joy is rooted in me, that I'm the source of that joy. Um, that I can trust in those other things that give me joy, but he's saying ultimately that joy is coming from me. So trust in that ultimately, not these other things. Um, so I can see how these, you know, how I'm in my life, those loves are disordered and God's trying to remind me to not have them disordered. Um, and so finally, you know, the hardest thing is, hey, how do we do this day to day? How do we practice in putting God first? Because that is really hard. I have read a quote, which was, um, I think it was on Twitter, which said that integrity is not living something perfectly, but it's wrestling with it faithfully. So it's not living something out perfectly, but wrestling with it faithfully. And I really like that quote because it's not about 
Sometimes we get caught up in saying, I don't do this very well, so I'm just, there's no point doing it. Or I don't do this very well, I'm going to get caught up in guilt. It's saying, no, 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 actually trying to live out some of these things is not about doing them perfectly every single time. It's not about doing every day where you feel like, ah, oh, yeah, I lived out God's way of life perfectly today. It's saying, actually, you're just choosing to wrestle with it faithfully. That when you screw up, you go back to trying again and again. And it is as we pursue this, as we pursue God, that we find all that we need that we discover and can live in the good news. And we can live in all that Jess spoke about when she spoke about being able to speak to God as your father. And it allows us to live in what the others will speak about in the coming weeks. We can live in God's fullness. Truly living that when he said that verse, I came to give you life and life to the full. We can know that and live it. Um, But yeah, this can be hard and it is a choice as well. Um, I remember over a year ago, I was applying, I finished my PhD and I was applying for jobs in Sheffield because um, that's where I wanted to move to. I kind of felt like that was my next step, and I was applying for places up there, and I got an interview with one of these labs, and it was a job I really wanted. And they were being really positive. Um, the boss invited me up for lunch before the interview. So chatting to my boss, my current boss at the time, were like, wow, that sounds really positive. Like, we're going to have lunch together, then we'll have the interview. So I went up there. It was like the hottest day of the year that I went up. The trains were a nightmare, but I got there. We had lunch, and it was really good. The interview went like as well as it could have done. Um, felt like the questions were really good, like we overran because we were discussing so much, and I was like, ah, oh, this went really well. I remember coming back home, um, everyone was really positive, and then the email came through from her about whether I got it, and I remember just before I opened the email, it's in the office, and I just went, God, I trust you with my next steps, I trust you with my future. I opened it, and it was a rejection. And that moment, I was like, ah, and I went to my boss's office, she wasn't in, so it was empty, and like, you know that really like ugly, loud crying? That's what I did, down the phone to my dad, because my mum wasn't in, and I I rang home, my dad answered, and he had that thing after a while, he's like, I'm sure your mother's going to be back very soon. (laughs) He's like really trying, but just like, I'm sure your mother's back soon, maybe she'll call you back. Really ugly crying, Um, really hope no one heard me. but the thing was, then I had that moment of saying, like, okay, well, do I choose to trust God's plan? Do I choose to trust and actually trust God with my future? Because really, I was so excited about moving. And, you know, internally, I was kind of halfway to Sheffield anyway. I'd been looking at houses. My brother and sister-in-law lived there. And my nephew, I was so excited to be able to spend time with them. Um, I, you know, looked around the uni, the people that were there. I was basically halfway there. So when I didn't get it, people here were like, I thought you were going to Sheffield. I was like, don't even. Um, so I had that choice to be like, do I still trust God with my future, even though it hasn't panned out like I thought it would? Even though I really thought this was a step I was supposed to be making, and I'd, obviously I'd prayed about it. Um, but it was one of those moments where, you know, I was stepping through that door and God really just slammed it in my face, and I knew unequivocally that it wasn't the right thing that I should go. So even when I didn't get what I wanted and I really thought it was good for me to move, do I still choose to trust God's plan and his good news over my life? And I can look back now in hindsight, which is always a wonderful thing, to see that actually the day I got the rejection was also the day of the closing date for another job in Bristol, which I applied for, and that's the job I'm currently doing now. And I see God's grace in that. If I got it a day later, I wouldn't have been able to apply for that job. I see his grace in that I went to speak to that boss, and I was like, I didn't get the job in Sheffield. I'm going to apply for your position. I'm applying the day before the, you know, the application is closing, so clearly this wasn't my first choice. Um, being able to be really honest with her, and she was really gracious with me, I'm really honest with me. I see God's grace in that. Um, I see it in also that I almost gave up my flat here in Bristol in terms of like ended my tenancy. My mum said, oh, just wait till you hear back about the job. And of course, I didn't get the job. I still have my flat. And it's really hard to get housing in Bristol, isn't it? So I see God's grace in all of those things. And I look back now and also the project I'm doing now is on hearts. That's the job I was going for. I'm a scientist, I should say. I research hearts. Currently, I research hearts and the job in Sheffield would have been three years researching hearts. 
I don't think I really like hearts, after all. Um, this job was only 15 months, so actually I see God's grace in that, that he was stopping me from entering into a job that I probably don't like. Um, and that's great, and it's that choice to trust God's good news and his good plan. But it's not always as clear-cut as that, is it? Like, that's really nice. I had a really clear message, and I could see God's goodness. But sometimes it isn't as easy as that or as clear-cut. And I know, you know, one of the other things... I have a really good friend from university and one of the things that both of us have been really wrestling with and struggling with is singleness and knowing that both of us want to find partners and it's something we've been speaking about for several years and being totally honest, it's something that's really hard to live out in the church as well, especially this is a wonderful church, I love you all, but there's a lot of couples and families in this church um, and not very many single people and it can be really hard to live that out faithfully and truthfully when you're searching for something and feeling like you're not getting it when you kind of put yourself out there and it doesn't work and you're wondering, God, this is something I really want and I see other people get, but I'm not getting it. And what's your good plan in that? How can, can I trust your good news in that if I don't end up finding somebody, if I don't end up having a family? And that's something that both me and my friend have been struggling with and talking to each other with and wrestling with. And there's lots of uncertainty. And imagine that's similar for other people if you've got a chronic illness um, or something that you can't fix on your own, that you're almost just waiting to happen. It can be really hard to wrestle throughout that period, not knowing what the outcome's gonna be. And in each of those, you just have to, for me, it had to go back and just be like, okay, God, do I trust your good news? Do I trust your good news if I don't get married? Do I trust that your news is good news if I don't have kids? Do I trust it if my life doesn't turn out how I want it to? Can I trust that your plan is still the best? And that's really hard and definitely not easy. Um, but it's trusting that his plan is better than what I could come up with anyway and that I see his faithfulness and I just have to trust in those moments anyway. And so I wonder if that is maybe where you are at today as well. But just know that his news is good news and that his plan is the best plan. And so we need, it's just remembering that every day and choosing to trust it every day. So I'm going to come into close. So I guess what we're talking about today is just reordering our loves is remembering our first love, putting God first again, because he is good news, whatever is going on in our lives. We can trust that he's good news in the midst of good circumstances, and he's good news in the midst of bad circumstances. And this is what Jesus came to share with us, his freedom, his joy, his peace, his goodness, which is true every single day. And it's a gift that's free to all of us. We just have the choice whether we accept it or not. We don't earn it, it's just a gift to us. And we can enjoy whatever gives us that joy, contentment, happiness, knowing that it is good and it's a gift from God, but remembering that what God offers ultimately is best. And whether we feel content or not, or happy or not, or at peace or not, what he has to offer is the best. So to finish, I have three questions that I thought we could think on um, now and then throughout the week. The first one is, do you think that what Jesus offers is good news? And more than that, do you believe that it is the best news? And I think right now it's important to be honest <laughs> with yourself because God knows our hearts already. Like he knows the answer already. And there's no, I'm not saying this to shame or judge people to say, oh, you're not being a good enough Christian because, you know, Jesus came to free us from shame and judgment. I ask this because I don't know if I always believe this either. And I'm the one standing up here saying it. And when I actually, but when I actually stop to consider it, I know that it is the best news and it is the best way for me to live. I just kind of have to trust that and step out into it. The second question was, where have you let other loves, as Augustine called them, become higher or greater than your love for God? Because other loves are good things. They're all good and perfect gifts from God and they've enjoyed. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew, he's talking about the Pharisees, if then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is, heaven, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
See, God delights in blessing us. And ultimately, all these things come from him. I know Jess shared a story last week where she'd been praying for a house where she could host, but that they could also afford in Bristol, and God gave it to her. Like, God delights in blessing us. But whilst all of these gifts will fade eventually, God never will. Um, And that's one of the things I love about when we're doing worship here in seven is that it's when I'm worshiping that God really then helps me reorder my loves, that I can kind of stop and go like, oh, that thing that I was stressing about, that thing that I was pushing ahead, that thing I was seeking approval from, God like helps me reorder thing and I put him at the top and it's like, ah, okay, I get his peace. My life kind of comes back into order. And finally, the third question is, in what area of life do you need to trust, believe and see God's good news today? And what about your neighbor? Where do you need to see it today? Where do they need to see God's trust and believe and see God's good news today? Because his good news isn't just for us and our inner world, but it's for everyone that we know, everyone that we see in our lives, everyone that we love and everyone that we don't love. How can we bless others with this news? Those are three questions. Um, They're going to, yeah, they're hopefully up there. Brilliant. Um, So I just wonder if we could ponder on those um, today, this week. Um, And just to finish, I really liked what Jess did last week. She went through the Lord's Prayer and kind of gave space after each line. Um, I was going to do that again, but with not with the Lord's Prayer, but instead what Jesus proclaims in Luke 4. So that we'd have a time where I'm going to leave space in between, so there's going to be silence which might be awkward, but I'm hoping it will just give us space to actually contemplate these words. So I'm going to say the line, say a little thought, and then give silence. So ease into the silence. It'll be great. And then we'll finish. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Where today do you need to know God's good news, to know that he is bringing goodness into your life, into those areas where you feel poor, insufficient, where you feel like you don't have enough. Or maybe for those that you know that feel, have areas where they feel insufficient, poor, and not enough. Where do you need to know today to know God's good news said over you? He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Is there anything in your life today where you feel trapped by that is taking your freedom, that is holding you down and keeping away from God? Give that thing over to God, knowing that he comes to proclaim freedom over you. Um, He can give you freedom from those things without judgment and shame, just complete freedom. He has sent me to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. Where would you like God to open your eyes spiritually to see what he's doing, to see his plan better, to help you trust it? Or 
where are the things that you want healing over, where you want him to be your recovery, the one that recovers you. Give those things over to God. And I've come to set the oppressed free. Maybe this speaks to you directly or speaks to someone or a people group that you know. Who needs to know that they're free from oppression? Who needs to be lifted out of it in God's power? And I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Where do you need to be reminded that God is for you, not against you? Um, Where do you need to know his favor over your life in things being returned to you, even if you can't afford it or pay for it or deserve it? Where do you need to see God's favor in your life? Today, the scripture is fulfilled. Father God, may we know into today and into this coming week, uh, know your good news. Um, be able to trust in what you say over us. Trust um, in your freedom. Trust um, in your healing. Trust in your recovery. And trust in your favor. Um, wherever we need you this week, may we trust in those words you speak over us, knowing that you're not lying or leading us astray, but you mean those words fully and completely, that we can trust them and that we can come to you asking because you, give, you, you delight in giving us good gifts and in blessing us. I pray that we'd know more of you this week um, and that we'd come to see how great and magnificent your love and goodness and mercy is over us. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you. Um, we're now going to have some time ministry. If you'd like to stay and pray in the, the mood that we have, you're welcome to stay um, in this space. We'll also have some people at the front here. If you'd like to receive prayer for anything, do come up. Um, if you're on Facebook, I'm sure there's a link or email you can sign on to. There is. It's yeah. prayer at sevenvineyard.org. Yeah.